Well, good morning. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. If you're visiting today and you were invited to hear Rick Countryman, I'm sorry he's not here today. Uh, Rick and a few of the other pastors were uh, at a Bible conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Rick got in uh, late yesterday afternoon and anticipating coming in, he asked if I would fill in for him today. We're going to continue our study in John chapter 10, but this gives him an opportunity. He's actually at another church here uh, this morning. And uh, be an encouragement to one of our uh, fellow pastors in our community. And he's just being a blessing and encouragement to them. And, and so I'm really grateful to give Rick uh, that opportunity to be with his family as well as to uh, sit and to receive and to be under the instruction of God's word. So it's a good thing. Uh, my name is Lonnie Skiles. If you are new to Big Valley, I'm one of the, one of the pastors here, small group pastors. And we had a great uh, last several weeks. Many of you are getting connected into small groups. Uh, we have many new groups that are starting And if you haven't gotten plugged in yet, I encourage you to do so. We do have another semester that's coming right after Mother's Day, which will give you another opportunity to get connected. But real church takes place in those small groups. And we come here to study God's word. We come here to worship him collectively as a body of Christ, to encourage one another, uh, to welcome one another in love in Christ. But boy, then that small group is where the action really takes place. And if you're not connected yet, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. If you're in the venue, we encourage you to open your Bibles as well and follow along. And those who are in the cafe and online, welcome to you as well. Uh, there, when you came in this morning, you, know, you should have received a study sheet. It looks something like this. It has some blanks in it. I encourage you to follow along. And there's some additional verses I want to give to you. So and, um, the purpose of this is not just to follow along, but it would be my hope and as well as Rick's, that you would take this home and you would study it as a family and and be the kind of student of the word that says, well, just because Rick said it, just because Lonnie said it, doesn't mean it's true. So let's go back. Let's look at the word of God. Let's see for ourselves. Know your Bible. Study the word and uh, become familiar with it and let God's word dwell deeply into your heart and it will make a great difference in your life. I do believe that we are here today by God's divine appointment. Uh, I see God work in, such, in, in similar ways, in unique ways, where he's the one who has orchestrated events. And maybe this morning you are here. And uh, earlier this week, you didn't think that this is where you would be. But somehow, maybe you were just driving down Standardford Avenue, and you decided you know, to turn uh, left or right on Tolly Road. And you said, you know what, let's just go check out Big Valley today. I mean, there's lots of different reasons why you are here. But we are here because of God's appointment. He sovereignly works and orchestrates our paths, not like a puppet master, but he does direct our steps. And he brings us into gatherings like this because of things that he desires to say to each of us. We're gonna hear his voice here today. That's not my voice, but he's gonna speak to us through his word. And we wanna make sure that our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hearts are ready to receive what God has in store for us. It's a divine appointment too in that this passage uh, really hits home to me. And as we read it, I think it will hit home to probably just about every one of us that's here this morning and in the uh, various places where you're listening here today. Because my guess is if I could hear your story, uh, you too are burdened heavily for a family member, a loved one, who at one time made a profession of faith, much like Ryland did here today. But they've drifted away. And you wonder, is the Lord really in them today? It helps homes to me because as a pastor, I've had opportunity to be in homes of dear ones who have lost a husband, uh, lost a daughter who was murdered, 
and many other scenarios that I could share with you. And I had the opportunity to show off Jesus to these folks, not in a prideful way, but in a tender way as he would have. And I would ask them, did your loved one ever talk to you about the Lord? No, he never did. Did he ever talk about heaven? No, we never did. Any, any discussions about maybe what happens after you die? No, we never had those conversations, which just amazes me that a, a couple who could be married has never had these serious conversations. Uh, does your loved one have a Bible? No, we don't. Do they have a verse that they really cherished or maybe mentioned at one time? No, they didn't. That's why we encourage you to write in your Bibles because at those times, the Bible speaks a lot of your heart and of your interest. And yet in each of these instances and other stories that I could tell you, they would point back to a time such as Ryland and they would say, well, I remember at camp, they raised their hand. I remember they went forward at a Billy Graham crusade. I remember this happening or this happening. And they were baptized right after a camp experience. But after those experiences, there was no evidence, no evidence of any effort of following Christ, any, any, any sense of spiritual sensitivity or even love and affection for the Lord and his word or anything like that that you could grab hold of. And it causes one to wonder what's going on because the Bible does reference individuals whose their lips profess him, but their heart is far from him and they're not saved. It does talk about those who, who profess Christ, but who continue to walk in darkness. And John says that the truth is not in them. They actually are deceiving themselves to think that just because they say that I believe in Christ, but if they continue walking in darkness, the truth is not in them. And they're fooling themselves as to how to where their heart really is at. And Paul admonishes the Corinthians to examine themselves. And this morning will be a time of examination as you hear his word. We're going to look at this passage of scripture in just a moment. I'll give you a little bit of background in it. But just last week, Rick shared with us that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And not only am I the good shepherd, but I'm the one who sits in the gate of the sheepfold. And nobody can get into the sheepfold unless they come through me. And Jesus later says, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no one can come to the Father but through me. So not only is he the shepherd, but he's also the gatekeeper. And all that the Lord gives to him will never ever be cast out, which we'll see here in just a little bit. So Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd who will lay his life down for his sheep and, and will, none will ever snatch out of your hand. This passage that we're going to look at, there's a gap between verses 21 and 22. So as you, if you're not a, a student of the Bible, you may not be aware of it, you think that these passages just flow together, but these actually occur in two different instances. The passage beginning of 21 and going back goes all the way back to chapter 17 when Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He kind of secretly goes and he joins a celebration called the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is in September, uh, late September, early October. The people sleep in little tents or little booths that they make as an eight-day celebration and sacrifices and of worship and coming together as a Jewish family. And from chapter 7 to chapter 10, verse 21, all takes place in that period of time. And after that time is over with, Jesus leaves the temple area. Uh, maybe he remains in Jerusalem or he goes to some of his friend's house who live in Bethany nearby. But he comes back because there's another festival which we're going to see. It's called Hanukkah. And here it says the Feast of Dedication. It's the Festival of Lights. 
And it's a very significant, Jewish families still practice this today uh, in, the, in the period of December. And we're gonna see here that John says it's in the winter time. And Jesus is under an area called Solomon's Porch or Portico, which is a series of columns and an overhang that shelters from the wind and the rains and the, and, the, and, the, um, and the bad weather or the hot sun. And Jesus is in there and it's probably a cold day. The temperature in Jerusalem during this time in December is much like it is here in California. We're in the same temperate zone. And so it's probably cold. It might be rainy. We don't know for sure. But Jesus is under this overhang. And as he is walking, and as you look at, as we read this here in just a little bit, the text doesn't really give away what's really taking place. But he is surrounded immediately by Jewish leaders. So when we see the word the Jews, it's not just any average Jew. It is the Jewish leaders. It's the Sanhedrin. It's the Pharisees. Uh, the Sadducees are surrounding Jesus. This is not a pleasant gathering. They remember just a few months ago, they were just ready to stone Jesus. As you read the book of John, John records that there's several instances where they're ready to pick up stones and stoning him. And it happens in John chapter eight, the last part of the chapter, he's coming back into this environment. They see him again and they immediately surround him. This is not a pleasant gathering as we read this. I'm sharing this with you because as you read it, it's important to understand the context of it, that Jesus is being confronted they are frustrated, they are angry, and they're gonna say, we are, Jesus, how long will you keep us in great frustration? Will you tell us plainly if you are the Christ? That gives us the context for the scripture. And in this passage, more than talking about himself as the good shepherd, he talks about the quality and the character of his sheep. Some of these same things that he says here in John chapter 10, verse 21, he also says in John chapter 8, 42 through 47. And if you look at your notes, you might want to add a correction. And it's John chapter 8, 42 through 47, references some of the same things we're going to hear here. And I, and I hope you go home and you study these passages. So if you're with me, I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, uh, at the end of the service, we have other Bibles who are happy to give to you. And you can take home and you can write in it. And I encourage you even today to take notes notes, write in your Bibles, underline things, and go back and study them even further. So if you would, follow along with me as I read from John chapter 10. This is an eyewitness account. And before I read these things, I often think of what John wrote in John 20. He says, I'm writing these things, these things right here, this story. I've included this story so that those who hear it and those who read it might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And that by believing, you might have life in his name. So as we read this today, let's remember what John's saying. The reason he's choosing this story and he's choosing this conversation is that those of us who have come later, who haven't had the experience of seeing Jesus and touching him, might believe from an eyewitness account this story because it would be John's hope that every one of us would be in the family of God, that every one of us would hear Jesus's voice and come and follow him. You with me? Let's look at it. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. <clears throat> then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jewish leadership gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? And I want you, as you see that, to sense the great frustration and pent up anger. We are... 
doggone it, Jesus, would you just say one way or the other whether you truly are the Christ? Let's get on with it. Let's lay it out. Let's get, let's get it done. They are very, very frustrated. <clears throat> How long you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us boldly. Make it absolutely clear. And Jesus answered them. I did tell you. If you look at John chapter 8, 42 through 47, he tells them clearly. In fact, through that whole chapter, John chapter 8, after the healing of the blind man, over and over again, he's using different word pictures. He's trying to communicate to them that he is the Christ, the one sent from God, the one, the word who became flesh and dwelt amongst men. And John says, he came amongst his own, but his own did not receive him. And so he's having this encounter. He says, I did tell you but you did not believe. And John 8, 42 says, the reason you didn't believe is because you're not of the Father and you cannot hear what I am saying. The miracles that I do, I do in my Father's name. They speak for me. When I heal a blind man, I do it in my Father's name. He leads me to that healing and I do it in his name. They speak of the relationship I have with my Father when I multiply the loaves and the bread, I do it because the Father enables me to do it. My Father and I are one. And he recounts these miracles. And John includes seven of them. There's actually 37 that are listed in the New Testament. And all of those miracles Jesus did in his Father's name and, to, and speak of who he really is. He says, I, the miracles I do in my Father's name, they speak for me. Look at verse 26. But... You all do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And the word know them is I know them intimately. He knows our name. He knows the hairs that are on our head. He knows when a sparrow falls, how much more he even knows us. And they follow me. My sheep follow me. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. And what does he say in verse 28? And they shall never what? Perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I hope you would underline that. Mark that in your Bible. Because you, there's gonna be times where you will doubt your relationship with the Lord. You come right back to this verse, this wonderful promise that he gives to us eternal life. And he doesn't pull it back, doesn't snatch us away, doesn't kick us out. He says... <clears throat> In verse 28, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father, my heavenly Father, who has given them to me. Notice that. A, we who have come to Christ are given to the Lord as a gift. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them, jerk them out, aggressively take them out of my Father's hand because I and the Father are one. We are united in this. We are the same essence in this. It's not one and the same person, one and the same essence. There is a difference that is there. In verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. I find that curious. I wonder, where did they find all these rocks? You know, didn't they? This is on the temple court and Solomon's colonnade. Are they picking up? Anyway, they must have had a pile of rocks ready to stone anybody they felt like needed to be stoning. But they're picking up the stones to stone him. And these aren't little tiny little pebbles. These things are big things like shot puts. But Jesus said to them, hey guys, I, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. 
<laughs> so for which one of these are you stoning me? You stoned me because I, I healed a blind man? You stoning me because I enabled a man to be able to walk again or maybe able to speak again or see again? So which one of these are you stoning me? And look what they say. This is, this is huge. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jewish leaders. The reason we're stoning you is for blasphemy, for desecrating the name of God, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Isn't that interesting? Because it wasn't a man claiming to be God. It was God becoming man and putting on a man's suit and becoming one of us and dwelling amongst us. That's what was really taking place, but they didn't recognize it. And so now Jesus is going to take the Old Testament and he's going to turn it on them. And so he answers them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. And in the Old Testament, the word for gods is Elohim, which could mean it could be a big G God, a little G God, or a magistrate and judge. And in the references that Jesus is referring here is referring to their judges were referred to as little G gods, not deities that would be worshipped, but gods that would have authority over a particular group of people as judges. And so he says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, well, what about the one from whom the father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of desecrating the name of God, of blasphemy, because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless, look at this, do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I and the Father. And even today, if you are here today, and maybe you do not have a relationship with the Lord and the word is new to you, study the life of Jesus. Come to grips with that. This is an eyewitness account by a man who walked with Jesus and saw him nearly every day for the three years of his ministry and knew him even before he stepped forward and began his ministry. John says, I testify to these things. We, in 1 John chapter 1, he says, I have beheld him. We have seen him. Our hands have touched him. Our ears have heard him. And we present him to you and authenticate that he truly is the Christ, the son of the living God. So if you are new to Christ, or you're still not sure about him, read about his miracles. Come to grips with what he says he is, and he either is a liar, he is crazy, or he is telling the truth, because this could be only one of those three things. So look at verse 39. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. They knew, the Jewish leaders knew what Jesus was saying about himself. In verse 40, so Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptized in the early, year, early, early days, the place where Jesus himself was baptized, the place where he, from the heavens the dove descended and the voice from heaven says, behold my son in whom I am well pleased. So here he stayed, Jesus stayed and many people came to him. And these folks, they said, Though John the Baptist never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. And we're going to talk about that word, believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity, the privilege we have here to even today, the freedom we have today to look at your word, to study it <clears throat> to a measure of depth. But Lord, um, I want you to speak. We want to hear your voice today. 
And Lord, your voice will leap here right off of these pages. That you would call our name. That we would be the kind of sheep whose ears are tuned to sing your praises. That we'd be quick to respond. Quick to come from far away and running to be near you. We want to be those, Lord, whose roots are deeply planted in you, are pressing forward to the things that you would have in store for us. And so, Lord, take your word now, plant it deep into our hearts. And Father, you accomplish your will here today. And may you be exalted and lifted up in all that is said and done here in this place. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look. I'm, <clears throat> we don't have time to go through every verse here, but I want to camp on what I think is the central thing that John is trying to tell here. And uh, folks, we need to address this. Am I, can I hear the voice of the Lord? Am I one of his sheep? And so let's look at what Jesus says. So according to Jesus, look at verses 26 and 27. He says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You are sheep, but you're not my sheep. All of us are sheep. In fact, an earlier writer says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And it's the Lord God who has laid on him, Jesus Christ, all of our sin, all of our iniquity. But all of us are sheep. We may not all belong to Jesus, but we are all sheep. In John chapter 8, 42, 47, it says, the reason that you cannot hear is because you don't belong to God. You belong to the, de- the enemy. You belong to the liar of lies. Uh, you belong to Satan. Not all of us are children of God. You might have heard some of your friends say that at workplaces or some in your family who claim that we are all God's children. We are all made in the image of God, but we do not all belong to him. Now, he is not willing that any should perish. His desire is that all would come to know him, but not all will respond to the Holy Spirit. And the ones who respond belong to the Lord. The ones who don't do not belong to him. And the picture here that Rick described really well is that there's a large pen of multiple kinds of sheep and the shepherd comes up and he speaks out their name and he says, here, sheepy, 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 or whatever he says. And the sheep instantly recognize his voice. They come out of the pen and they come close to the shepherd. Some of you have, and this is pretty cool, and, and we may have a hard time recognizing the metaphor of sheep, but you all understand dog talk, right? Some of you have this experience in your own home. We have a, a, a mixed uh, dog, a black lab. It's my parents' dog. Name is Sam. And uh, when we first drove into our home from Pennsylvania and coming here to California to live with my mom and dad, oh, Sam just went nuts. He didn't recognize us, didn't recognize our car. He barks like crazy. And if any one of you, we have home group tonight, we're gonna stick him outside because he'll just go nuts as, as we have people driving into our car because he doesn't recognize the car, doesn't recognize the sounds. He knows these sounds don't belong in this house. But now Sam recognizes us. Even when we've been away for several days, uh, instead of barking, he's ready to greet us when he comes to the door. Have you had that experience? And yeah, but if you come up to the door, man, he's all over you. And he won't bite you, but you know, he, he has a big bark. <laughs> you know, our dog recognizes us. And just as the dogs do, the sheep recognize the, the shepherd. They know whether it's a, the right shepherd or the wrong shepherd. And they respond to the shepherd's voice. But folks, we are not independent people. We are not our own people. We belong to someone. And you're either in the hands of the Lord or you're in hands of the enemy of your soul. There's only two roads that one can walk. One road is narrow 
and few walk down it. There's another road that is very wide. Many walk down it and they walk to their destruction. Which road are you on? Which shepherd are you following? Secondly, the sheep that belong to Jesus, they listen to his voice. Do you see that? And add to your notes, John chapter five, verse 24. John five, verse 24. Because whoever hears and believes has eternal life and will not be condemned. You notice that? You need to hear. And you, then you believe. Paul says, how will they ever believe that they do not hear? And how will they ever hear if someone doesn't go and tell them how blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news? And so there's a unique relationship here. Even Cornelius and Acts who was a faithful man who did not know God, God noticed his prayers and noticed his offerings and said, Cornelius, you're missing something. I want you to go get Peter because Peter has something that you need to hear. Every one of us needs to hear the good news that Jesus is our savior, that he offers us eternal life. Every one of us needs to hear that God no longer uh, holds men's sins against them because of the payment that Christ paid on the cross. He paid the ransom. He has set us free. We need to hear that. We do not become Christians because we were raised in a Christian home. We do not become Christians because we're homeschooled. We do not become Christians because we live in America. We come, each one of us needs to hear and believe. And the word believes means that we cling to, we adhere to, we trust in. This word of believe isn't a head knowledge. You've heard us say this again and again because James says that the demons, they believe in God. So if I need to hear and believe, how does my belief different than the, the enemy of our soul who also believes and knows who Jesus is? The, the belief is not an issue for the demons and Satan. They know who Jesus is. They know that he died on the cross. They know why he died on the cross. They know that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He, they know he's the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the Prince of Peace. They know more about Jesus than I do or any seminary professor. And yet they will perish and their destiny is hell forever and ever and ever. And so many of people I've connected with when I was in the secular workplace would tell me I believe in God. And just like James has said, that's wonderful. So do the demons. So what makes your belief so different? That you will have eternal life and not damnation because you can believe and be damned. You can be believed and spend the rest of eternity in hell just like the demons. So what makes the difference? Folks, we need to ask that question. What makes the difference? The difference is, as the demons say, Jesus, I know who you are, but I am not worshiping you. I am not following you. I am not going to obey you. I'm gonna do whatever I want to do and I don't give a rip what you think. Even if you send me to hell, there is no way that I will bend my knee before you. That's the difference. So you can have a head knowledge, and most of us here probably believe in a God. Most of us here recognize that this world just didn't happen all by itself. But is your belief resulting into salvation? Are you putting your full trust in him? And there was a wonderful illustration. Charles Bodine, he lived in the 1850s. He was one of the first guys to walk across Niagara Falls. Many of you have heard this illustration, but it's a great illustration, isn't it? 
He, he had a rope built that was over 1,100 feet long. It was stretched from shore to shore, from the Kidian side to the, to the side of the United States. He was a tremendous acrobat. The rope was two inches thick. And they had guy wires as much as they could to steady the rope, but in the middle, they couldn't get the guy wires because there's nothing to connect it to. And this rope would dip down 50 feet. And so as he would walk, it wasn't a straight path. It would be down and back up, up to 50 feet, 1,100 feet long. And James and Charles Bodine did some wonderful tricks. He did somersaults on it. He, he walked on stilts on it. He carried a stove out there and cooked an omelet and lowered it down to the boat that is uh, the queen of the mist. He did all sorts of things. And then he took a wheelbarrow and he rolled it back and forth. And then he put some dirt in it, weighed about 140 pounds, wheeled it back and forth told the crowd what he was going to do and said, how many, how many people, you've heard this, right? How many people here believe that I could take a man across on my back? And hands went up all over the place. There's over 25,000 people watching. Many people believed that he, because they saw him, he took 140 pounds of dirt in, surely he could take a man across. They saw all these other tricks. And then he said, you know what he said, right? <laughs> all right, do I have a volunteer? <laughs> and all of a sudden the hands went down. Uh, they believed up here, but not in here. Until one man stepped out of the crowd, and it was his manager. And he says, Charles, I'll go. I'll do it. And he, interesting what he said. He says, okay, jump on my back, and you hold on. Just hold on to me. And when I lean left, you lean left. If I lean right, you lean right. And we'll be okay if you hold on to me. Isn't that a great picture of Jesus, our shepherd, and sure enough, sure enough, he took his manager all the way across and ran the last distance with him on his back. Just hold on to me and we'll be okay. Isn't that great? That's what it means to believe. So my sheep, they belong to Jesus. They listen to his voice. And the sheep that belong to Jesus, they follow him. Add to your notes, John chapter 12, verse 26, and Matthew 16, 24. John 12, 26, Matthew 16, 24. <clears throat> My sheep that belong to Jesus follow him. Folks, when Jesus comes to you and those of us who have trusted in Christ, you know this, right? Because where you are going before Jesus is not where he wants to take you. You're walking down the wrong road. You have to change direction. This is what repentance is all about. Repentance means is that we, we're confronted with our sin. There's a godly sorrow that takes place in our life. And we know that where we are going is leading to destruction. It leads to no good end. And Jesus calls us and he says, come, pick up your cross. That's what Matthew says. Come, pick up your cross and follow me. It requires a change in our direction. John later writes in 1 John, he says, the man who continues, who says, I walk in the light, but continues in darkness, he is a liar. He is fooling himself. A man who lives in perpetual, habitual sin is not of the Father. In fact, John wrote 1 John so that we might really know truly where we stand with Christ. Because there are many people who profess him with their mouth, but their heart is far from him. And John is concerned. Do you really know Jesus? Look at your walk. Do you hate your brother? Because if you hate your brother, it's incompatible with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And we'll talk more about that. But the one who is following Jesus, the one who hears his voice, turns and follows him. There's an activity, there's an action that we must take. 
We cannot stay where we are at. Jesus is just not our Savior. He is also our Lord, and we follow him. We go where he goes. We do what he wants us to do. We listen to his voice, and we want to be with the shepherd, and we want to go where the shepherd goes. And as you watch sheep videos, (laughs) it is interesting Because as they follow the shepherd, they go wherever the shepherd goes, even if the shepherd takes them through a deep, dark valley. The sheep fear no evil because they trust the shepherd. They know through this difficult time, he would not take them there and abandon them. He knew so the journey of cancer, through the through the through the the difficulty of unemployment, through the challenges of marital conflict. The Lord never leaves us. He never deserts us. And his rod and his staff, his word comforts us as he leads us through dark places to get us to a place of wonderful, wonderful beauty. Number four, the sheep that belong to Jesus are given eternal life and they will never perish. Add to your notes, John 3, 36 and 640. The sheep that belong to Jesus are given eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Notice that it's a gift. It's not something that is earned and deserved. It is given to us by the shepherd. Life eternal. The word is zoe. It's eternal life. It's abundant life. And fifthly, the sheep that belong to Jesus, they are a gift from the Father. Look at verse 29. He says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them, grab them out of my Father's hand. And so if you have come to Christ, you are a gift from the heavenly father to his son, Jesus Christ. And sixthly, the sheep that belong to Jesus, they are secure in in Jesus' hands and his father's hands. Look at verse 28 and 29. It says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one, Jesus says, can snatch them out of my, Jesus' hands. And my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hands because my father and I, we're in this together. We are one, we are united, we are of one heart and we are one mind and of one essence and we're together in this. So not only can they not be snatched out of my hands, but they cannot be snatched out of my father's hands and Jesus says he's even greater than all. Isn't that a wonderful promise? To know that my ability to stay in my father's hands is not up to me? (laughs) Woe to us if it was up to me. Any of you walking perfectly with the Lord? How insecure would we be if if it was all up to us? But my confidence is in Christ. My confidence is in my Father who is greater than all and will not allow anything to be snatched out of my hands. In fact, Luke chapter 15 says that if I'm missing in the fold, guess who comes after me? My shepherd does. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says the one who really is in the Father, he disciplines us because he loves us. And he notices when we're missing And he calls us by name and he comes looking for us. And if we have wandered and drifted away and finds us in the thicket, John Luke 15 says he he grabs us, he gets us out of the thicket, he puts us on his shoulders and joyfully carries us home. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't drag the sheep back. He's not kicking in and saying, get on back. No, he celebrates. This one sheep that was lost is now home. Celebrate with me. So how do we know if we belong to Jesus? Two ways. We hear his voice. His word speaks to us. And that's not at night and 
you hear something, you know, speaking in the darkness and might be acid indigestion, but it's looking at his word and his, his word is speaking to us. We got some funky teachings out there going on where we try to empty our mind and whatever comes into this empty mind is, no, no, we go to his word. That's how he speaks to us. But not only do we hear him, we follow him. There's a response. We trust in him. I want you to see this video. This is cool. One more time. how the sheep want to be right up against the shepherd. In fact, if they would keep playing it, playing out, they, they, they want to come right up to the shepherd. They want to get as close to him as possible. Those who really belong to Jesus, they hear his voice and they follow him. So what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? I'm going to go through this really fast. Folks, there needs, there's a supernatural birth, new birth, a rebirth that takes place. Folks, that's not something that I can create. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who draws me and opens my ears, opens my eyes, and he changes my heart. Jesus told Nicodemus, said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not based upon any good work that I have done, but it's according to his mercy that he has saved me. There needs to be a supernatural rebirth. Secondly, there's an inner longing and an effort to follow Jesus. That rebirth creates something new in me. Paul says, I'm a dead man that has come to life and have a new appetite, a new way of thinking, a new sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in my life. Thirdly, there's a greater love of Jesus in the things of this world. John says that the one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All the things that are in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, all of the things are not of the Father but of the world. The world and all of those things will pass away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. And there'll be a new appetite, a new hunger, and, and I will love the things that Jesus loves. And fourthly, our life will be characterized by love. 
Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. This is what I'm commanding you to do, is that you love one another. What he's talking about is not a fond affection for one another, though that's a nice thing to have. The kind of love that he's talking about is the kind of love that he had for us. A love that's willing to die for another. So there's no greater love than this than a man who would lay down his life for his friend, another one. Paul admonishes that we do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than themselves. Do not look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. There is a willingness to serve. There's a willingness to surrender. There's a willingness to put another interest ahead of your own. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Without that kind of love, we are a noisy gong or we are a clanging cymbal. And so when we are born again, there is an identifying characteristic of Christ in our lives, and that is how we love one another. Fifthly, we live by faith, totally trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for us. My confidence in my relationship with Christ is not in my baptism. My confidence in my relationship with Christ is not based upon the church that I attend or even the title that I wear. My confidence is based upon what Jesus did and he alone. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's by grace that I've been saved through faith. Even that's not of myself. Not of works lest anyone should boast. It is a gift from God. My relationship is based upon Jesus and him alone. And I live by faith, I walk by faith, trusting him, looking forward to the day that I'll see him face to face. And he says to me, welcome home. So how ought we to pray? Some of this is touching home in our lives. Many of us have family, friends, and members that seem to be far away from the Lord if they were even in him. How ought we to pray I'm going to suggest several things. One, and I look at the miracles of Jesus as illustrative of how we ought to pray. Because one of the things that needs to happen is that that individual who's far away, even today, needs to have their ears open. We need to pray that they'll have ears to hear. Because right now they're not hearing the voice of the Lord. They're living their life as though he doesn't even exist and they're unresponsive to anything they read or see or hear. Isn't that right? We ask, we pray that their eyes would be open, that they begin to see Jesus as the treasure that he is in the field that is worth selling all so that we could have him, that our life has true meaning and we are fully all that we are to be when we are in Christ. And so many, and I've seen this, folks, you've seen it too, they grow up in a Christian home. They go to a Christian school. And then as they become adults, you wonder, what happened? And they see Jesus as a Sunday school Jesus, a guy who rides a donkey or something. No, he's so much more than that. He's so much more than a children's story. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I need to see that. I need to see him differently than they've ever seen him before. There also, though, needs to be godly sorrow, a brokenness in the spirit. A place where they come to this place of godly sorrow that ultimately leads to repentance, a heart of repentance 
that recognizes that all of the things in this world are vain and empty. And that Jesus offers the true value in life. So today, the writer of Hebrews says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And we always provide opportunity for prayer here in the altar. My wife and I will be right here in the front. We'd love to meet any of you who are new here today. I want to share just one more thing about sheep. And this is a significant characteristic. There won't be any notes here for you to follow, but think about this. Because one of the characteristics of sheep is that sheep wander. Right? Sheep wander. And as they wander, the further away they get from the Lord, the harder it is for them to hear his voice. Right? All those sheep could hear his voice because they were close. But if one had gotten through the fence and kept on eating, grazing away, he'd have gone to a place where he couldn't have heard the shepherd's voice. And it's true. Our hearts are prone to wander. A pastor's heart is prone to wander. An adult's heart is prone to wander. A child's heart is prone to wander. Robert Robertson said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O Lord, and seal it. Seal it with thy cords of love. Sheep are prone to wander. We're prone to wander. And also, the further away that a sheep gets from a shepherd, and the further away that a sheep gets from his flock, guess what? What happens? The more dangerous it becomes, the more vulnerable you are. The more vulnerable you are to fall off a cliff, the more vulnerable you are to get caught in a thicket, the more vulnerable you are to get eaten by wolves. There's great protection in being near the shepherd. There's great protection being near the flock. Boy, there's just so many applications, isn't there? Folks, we need to pray. And I'm gonna provide opportunity to pray. But folks, if there's anything that's ever gonna change in any of our lives, it's because the Lord has opened our eyes, right? Because the blind man couldn't see until Jesus touched him. Our ears need to be open. And those who were deaf couldn't hear until Jesus touched their ears. And Lazarus would still be in his tomb until Jesus called his name. And all those things need to happen in each one of our lives. Would you stand and let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the faithful, almighty, everlasting Father who places us in the cup of our hands, who write our name in the Lamb's book of life that can never, ever be erased. But Lord, we have some dear loved ones. We can't know their heart. We hope, Lord, when they are far away that they, that they are still in your hands. We hope it wasn't a game that they were playing. But whatever it is, Lord, would you, Father, would you open their eyes that they would really see you? Would you open up their ears that they would hear you? Lord, would you touch their heart? And Father, some of those hearts are hardened by anger and by bitterness, by stubbornness and rebellion. Would you break through and bring them, Lord, to that place of godly sorrow and a heart of repentance where they would turn from their path of destruction into everlasting life with you. And so, Lord, we bring our loved ones to you. I pray for each that are here today, Lord, if there's any that are far away, that, Father, today would be a day they'd be drawn near. Lord, if any who are really bound and shackled by the enemy today, they would be set free. Today, any who are lost would be found. To any who, who do not have a family, they would find a home in you and in Christ here. 
And so, Lord, we lay all these things before you, knowing that you're the God who cares, you're the God who hears, you're the God of great miracles, and we lay these things before you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen.